Justine Harcourt de Tourville, still at Cannes XR, and it's really fantastic because I am able to speak with so many makers and shakers and doers and creators of virtual reality, and today that is still the case because I'm going to be talking with Gayatri, but I have to ask you to introduce yourself because you know I can't say your name correctly. Please, would you give us the, the honor of introducing yourself? Yes, sure. Thanks a lot, Justine, for having me here and for speaking to me. My name is Gayatri Parameshwaran, and I am an immersive creator and journalist from India and currently based in Berlin, where I co-run Now Here Media, which is a storytelling studio that's really working on harnessing the power of immersive technologies for social impact. I remember seeing you in Berlin, where you're based at VR Now, and you had done a really great piece. Um, it was about war, the effect of war. You want to talk a little bit about it? Yes. Uh, Home After War is a, a room-scale virtual reality experience that was created as part of the Oculus VR for Good Creators Lab in partnership with the Geneva International Center for Humanitarian Demining. What we, the Home After War is the story of an Iraqi father who lost two, two sons, two of his sons, to an improvised explosive device in the neighborhood. What's happening in Iraq uh, now after the fighting with ISIS has ended is that uh, refugees and internally displaced people want to come back home, but their homes are not safe because they are contaminated by improvised explosive devices or booby traps. So for me, it was really incredible to have this notion that a home is unsafe because for me, home is where I feel the safest and the most secure. And for people like Amahid, who is our protagonist in the piece, it's not. It's a very ambiguous relationship with your home. So when you come back after two years in a refugee camp, of course you're delighted to be back home, but also you're not sure if it's going to be a safe place. Um, there have been instances where people have come back home, tried to open a, open a door, and that has set off an explosion, or turn on the electricity, and that could set off an explosion. So this is really an unprecedented challenge um, that's facing the, the civilians who are returning back home in Iraq and our piece, Home After War, which uh, recently won the best use of immersive arts at South by Southwest, um, is really trying to highlight this issue. Well, I remember seeing snippets of it. I remember seeing the impact. And uh, indeed, it's a great medium to tell these kind of stories and to, to bring it home for people. So very good job and congratulations with the prize. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk though. We're now here at Cannes. Um, also a very nice sunny place. So a great respite for Berlin. Uh, what have you been doing here? Um, so apart from showing Home After War at the um, virtual arcade here, uh, I'm pitching our upcoming project Kusunda, Speak the Unspoken. Um, Kusunda is a documentary virtual reality experience in which you meet Gyani Sen, who is an 83-year-old indigenous woman. Um, from where? From Western Nepal. Okay. And she's the last speaker of her language and the guardian of uh, a culture, of her culture. So um, she's also a badass inspiring figure. And she realizes that she 
you know, the language could die with her and she wants to do everything she can to pass it on to the upcoming generations. So, um, the virtual reality experience, Kusunda, is part of our, or it basically complements her efforts. And in this experience, um, you use your voice to speak in her mother tongue and trigger interactive journeys into her past and her thoughts. And we really use want to use voice because oral traditions are very much at the heart of ancient languages like Kusunda that do not have a script. Ah. And by involving the user in speaking the language, we also make it empowering to be part of this experience for the user who will then play their own part to not let the language fall silent. And you've been doing this as part of the Kaleidoscope Showcase. Exactly. So last year in November, Renee from Kaleidoscope VR invited us to be part of the Dev Lab um, that they organized together with Riot and Oculus. Right. And... Um, those three days were amazing in terms of being very inspiring, forcing you to think out of the box and get inspired from other disciplines uh, to create amazing virtual and augmented reality experiences. And um, since then, we've um, received seed funding from Kaleidoscope VR. Fantastic. And um, we are now um, looking for further funding and we've made some applications we have co-production partners on board and uh, yeah that's where we stand so we are here at Cannes to pitch um, the project and find further co-production partners and collaborators perhaps as well as uh, funding opportunities and how has the festival been for you so I arrived yesterday <laughs> so I'm a, and this is my first time at Cannes so I'm a real newbie um, but it seems like an amazing uh, place. Um, it's crazy, right? Cannes is huge. Like what's going on is huge. And it's hard to find your grounding. But I think the Cannes XR section is pretty... Um, they've done a great job at concentrating. The you focus. Know, the focus is really here. And you walk down one aisle and you meet a lot of players in the field. And that's that feels like a community. I've... I felt the same. I mean, there hasn't been someone either new that I've never met, but worth talking to. Mm -hmm. And uh, only interesting stories so far. So you're in good company. Yes, it's really fascinating also to see the other projects that are here as part of the showcase, as well as just meeting people who are, you know, moving and shaking, as you call it. And then, you know, just being part of this crowd who is very dedicated to take this medium forward. That's that's exciting. And one thing I want to shout out to is in, unlike with a lot of festivals where you're certainly timed and slotted and you have a harder time I've had easier access I don't know if this has been the same for you in being able to see some of this cutting edge work yeah or the quality work that we all wait in line a long time to see so yeah have you have you seen anything that's really I haven't yet but I've booked well, slots you're so here so yeah. you book slots okay yeah, I've booked you're slots for way. tomorrow um, so that I can go and check out some of their stuff. And I think the library is a good way to experiment, getting, giving people a choice of, you know, some of the best works from the year and yeah. showing it there and letting them pick which ones they want to they want to see. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the system. So, you know, just being able to see more work 
as people that support the industry, you know, it gives us a sense of who's doing what, who can we collaborate with more, um, helps us make better connections, which I think is part of it. Exactly. Anything you want to share that you've learned along the way of making VR and being a documentary storyteller? I mean, you use real life uh, subjects with, you know, real life problems. Anything that uh, you've learned that you want to pass on to others? Um, I think as a documentary maker and a journalist, it's fascinating for me the places that I can take my audiences to as part of the journey. Um, And it really is, uh, it functions when you have virtual reality, when you wear the headset, it functions much, much faster or easier than, I don't know, you can read a very immersive text and you can listen to a really immersive radio show and I think all of that can work somehow with virtual reality there is a sense of presence which is unmatched in any other medium true and something that is you do not have to imagine it it's there and I find that fascinating to exploit as a documentary maker and as a journalist and to take people sometimes to confrontative situations that they might not otherwise be put in and sometimes to place them in someone else's shoes that they might not otherwise have the opportunity to do. So I think um, that's what I am really, really excited about and I'm really excited about seeing how learning how people are behaving in these situations and these scenarios. For me, it's almost learning more about human psychology and about how people react to certain scenarios and and it's replicable. So I can do the same experiment. Showing something to many different people is possible in VR than in real life experiments. So I think that's what's very, very fascinating for me working in this medium. And to really use it to create social impact. And um, our last piece, Home After War, is currently being shown at the United Nations in New York. Uh, It's an exhibit at the Visitor Center. And it's running until the 20th of May. Um, Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's another accomplishment. Yeah, thanks. And I think that's... I met some ambassadors, who diplomats, who were watching the piece and they came out of the experience and they said, you know, I really know the issue very, very well. I know the facts, the figures, the strategies that we need to create to solve this problem. And even when I'm on the field in Iraq, sometimes I cannot take 20 minutes to spend time with one family and one person and listen to their story. And it's very important what you do here because it gives... It makes sense. This is why I started doing what I do. And, you know, along the lines, sometimes even experts forget why they do what they do or are disconnected from That's that. That's true. So. I mean, we get into a very bureaucratic... In some ways, we have to shut down from the exactly. horror and to protect ourselves from this very unpleasant reality. Um, so it's good to be reminded again and short of going to the field or going to these... Locate, remote locations and being in the situation, it's, it's good to have access again. So I, I do want to ask, I mean, these are dangerous places that you've been. And, you know, what were some of the complications of filming in such a potentially, you know, booby-trapped home? I'm sure it was cleared, but I mean, there's some real real life fears happening. Yeah, there is some real 
risk to it. We were always traveling with army convoys. Okay. So that level of security was amazing to have. Um, we also had private security with us. So we felt very safe. But of course, you don't know how safe you really are because sometimes we were doing some research and the, the army, you know, the captains told us, just stay on the track where you see that vehicles have moved. Don't step, don't take one step to the right or one step to the left. You know, just right. stay because that's the path that has been kind of tried Detected, and tested. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing will blow up if you stay on the tracks of the vehicles. So follow to, the tire lines exactly. and you're good. Okay. Well, that's good tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but apart from that, there are, there's like so many production related hassles as well, right? So right. because of... Having electricity maybe might be a, an issue. Um, yeah, that's something we didn't phase as much but because we were staying in in Baghdad and we were doing our research and shooting and filming in Fallujah the distance between Baghdad and Fallujah is about 75 kilometers but that says nothing about how long it takes to reach Fallujah from Baghdad wow because there is a really complicated checkpoint to cross between Baghdad and Fallujah and that's like the it's it's controlled by five different bodies. So the military, the intelligence, the interior ministry, the army and the police. Goodness gracious. And you have to get a clearance from all of them to be able to cross in and out. And there's always something that's missing. I mean, fair <laughs> enough, because it's a country that's facing a lot of problems when it comes to internal security. So I completely understand that they want to be absolutely sure who's passing through and coming back in. Fair point. And when you have equipment that looks, you know, VR equipment is not very commonly, oh, goodness. you know, so you oh, have to spend, with yeah. the, you know, like spider eyes on it. Yeah. It's, it's a little, yeah, I can so imagine. It's hard to explain what it is. And you're basically talking about a brand new technology. Oh, good. That's a lot of good times there yeah. at the checkpoint. <laughs> so we spent like hours and hours at checkpoints. And that means that the time you have to actually go and do your work is very limited because there's also, you know, by sunset, you need to be back in the hotel because it's not as safe to be on the road when it's late. So you had maybe a day that would be four or five hours and you had to be very, very concentrated and get as much work done. And we were working we were using photogrammetry mm -hmm. to create uh, the piece and uh, sometimes we had to you know when the light went down we had to in total we made about 5,000 pictures of the of the house of Amaid's house and in, in the experience then you can walk through this house and meet him and speak to him and uh, in this process of making these pictures sometimes the the light was not so good so we had to make um, you know long exposure pictures and you can imagine like every photo taking seven seconds and you have to take 400 pictures in a room or oh, sometimes wow. 500 it takes a long time so it was high like high pressure and you can't make mistakes so <laughs> that was really difficult Wow. Yeah, 450, you know, perfection times 450. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a complicated formula. Yeah. Oh. 
Wow, this has been a very illuminating conversation. Thank you so much, Gayatri, for speaking with us. And I wish you more success and even more funding for your, for your two projects. Thank you. Thank you so much, Justine. 